0: Ladies and gentlemen, we have made it. It is episode 26. We are halfway through the year. 2020 has felt like 20 different years all in one. But here we are. It is episode 26. Let's get down to business, baby. So on today's episode, I have Joe DiClemente on. He is a close friend of mine from college. I actually traveled to both Australia and Thailand with Joe. So we've been around the world together. And I wanted to bring on Joe to talk about taking chances. Uh, For about five or six years, he worked... Uh, with GM fresh out of college and he took a major, major chance by moving to a different company when he could have stayed in something that was safe and secure uh, but didn't have the growth that he was looking for and he just wasn't passionate about what he was doing and so he took a risk and he's been at his new company for about two years now as a vice president and so I wanted to have him on to talk about taking uh, taking chances, taking risks. I think that he's a great uh, person to speak about that and we had an awesome interview just about life in general. So without further ado, I'll kick it over to Joe and he'll take it from here. Awesome, so I have my good friend Joe DiClemente on for episode 26. We are officially at the halfway mark uh, of this entire year of doing podcasts, which is crazy to think. Uh, I've been around the world with this man. I've gone to Australia with this man. I've gone to Thailand
1: with this man. Uh, Joe,
0: what have you been doing since our world travels, since college?
1: What's up, guys? What's up, guys? You know, I, I, First off and foremost, thank you for having me on. Um, I've been following you ever since you, you started the quarterly crisis. You know, and quite honestly, I don't think there's enough attention on this topic at all you know I, I think you're doing great things keep it up i have a special surprise Ooh, okay so let's just say what i'm about to show you uh none of you guys will understand but for all those aussie folks that are watching that went on that study abroad trip you guys will will get it but i'll leave it at this i got the key oh man <laughs> i'll leave it at that how many, how
0: many moves has that made i don't know that's <laughs> I, cr-
1: dude i've had it that's like a <laughs> that that's awesome? like seven
0: years ago or right? that's like eight Apartment. years ago
1: yeah Twenty six
0: ten, dude dang yeah that was a good room yeah
1: anyways jumping back into western so i obviously graduated from western uh with a degree in supply chain management um supply chain management at western encompasses purchasing operations and logistics shout out i have to give shout outs to obviously duke um, Sean, who you know, you got Professor Dr. Brett Wagner, um, Shima and Tim Palmer. They were hugely instrumental to me personally. And I truly believe I would not be where I'm at, you know, mentally, emotionally, even job-wise, if it weren't for them. So as I was saying, supply chain management um had many offers, uh, come out of college and decided to stay in Michigan where my family's at and uh, get a house and work for General Motors, one of the big three. Um, So, I had a seven year term at GM, three different roles. Wow. Um, I'll touch on each of them a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, The first, the first role that I had at GM was crazy. So, GM created this brand new role called uh, program buyers. Okay. And we were, I was essentially responsible for um, the purchasing and full cycle contract management uh, from start to launch of around 11 different components on the Malibu. So if you remember the Malibu, it was a massive refresh, right? Hmm. Huge. So I did, I bought everything from uh, like hood prop rods, wheelhouse liners, outside rear mirrors, Um, you know, you name it. It it was, it was cool. You touched it. So that team of those buyers, we did everything from purchasing to negotiations, to quality management, to visiting plants, you know, so we just got thrown in. It was, mm. it was nuts. It was crazy, but it was such a learning experience and I'm so thankful for it. So that was kind of the, that was a start of trying to really subconsciously and I didn't know this at the time of figuring out what I truly wanted to do. Spent been about two years. I decided to uh, transition um, to what's called indirect purchasing. I bought software, hardware and services for OnStar. So OnStar and the consumer experiences for people who are driving GM cars. Um, same type of concept where i was responsible for the contract management of the software and services etc um i did a lot of the forecasting um i managed the it budget for onstar as well so that was a that was a very interesting role it kind of opened up my eyes to both worlds of purchasing Mm. now i was there for about again two years and my last role at gm was the most uh, influential in my opinion. And the last role I had at GM was in purchasing for the brand new division of self driving cars and new technology. So, autonomous vehicles. Um, I worked my way up to be the global lead um, responsible for all the purchasing activity for GM for IT security. And then I also did software services and a little bit of hardware. Um, so, I served as the voice of purchasing for all GM on process improvements, where we can improve with our processes and supplier negotiations or even like even how we bring forth new suppliers that are completely unheard of especially Mm. in the autonomous industry it's crazy after the about two years of being in this new technology and autonomous vehicle group i kind of had you know my quarter life crisis it was weird it 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 uh i wanted something more aligned with my ethos if that makes sense like I, i wanted to have more of an impact on people and growing something special. And as you can imagine, it's, I'm sure it's insanely hard at, at GM, right? It's a corporate world, even though I was a part of the, all these groups, it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. So I want to take a risk and I did an uncomfortable amount of research and found, um, RPM here in Michigan. And I was actually looking to Arizona. I was in California, Charlotte stumbled across RPM on, uh, uh, A LinkedIn page and it just mastered my ethos, the drive, the grittiness, the giving back to the community. And it was at the size back then when I joined where it was, you know, you could get in at the grassroots and really affect the change. And like I was saying, you can create something special, have more of an impact. There for about three months, uh, then transitioned to VP as customer sales operations and quality assurance with a massive focus. My focus is still on operations. Mm and still really trying to get the process right. If you think of like, uh, I'm going to use a plain example, and you have an origin destination. Let's say it's Detroit to Arizona. And uh, you just started this company, and you have these leadership pieces in place and these processes. You think you have these processes in place. And you take off from Michigan on your way to to Arizona. If you're going to have hiccups in startups, no matter what size company you're at, and if if you don't have those right processes in place, the backbone in place, you're going to veer off and end up in Utah or Colorado, but you'll eventually get to Arizona. It's just going to take you twice as long. Mm. So the point I'm trying to make is if you if you nail down the backbone of the processes, and procedures and the, the throughput of how things flow through organization, no matter how big or small you are, you'll make it as quick as you can and optimize as, as fast as you can sales-wise, growth-wise, et
0: cetera. I'm sure that there are a ton of people that are or were in or a similar situation that you were in, right? So um, yeah. like you're in, a, you're in a spot where you're successful, you're working for one of the largest companies on the planet, right? It's a big three and you know, it's, it's, it's at the top of his industry, right? What would you tell people, like what would you give them the courage to make a decision like you made? Like it's very hard to leave something that is so stable and will always probably be there to go off to chase your ethos, as you said. So how would you give someone courage yeah. to, who, to make that same decision you made?
1: Let me start off by answering the question of what a quarter-life crisis kind of means to me. Yeah, um, great. And I kind of, I've, I began thinking about this, and as I alluded to in the conversation, in the third position at GM, uh, where I was a buyer for the new technology group, and I, I wanted to get more intimate, right? To me, it comes down to really finding out who you are, who you want to be, and what you want to be doing with your life. That's what it means to me. Um, you know, a lot of people, to, to get back to your point, and I hope a lot of, of the people that are listening to this are college students, um, they go through school. And most of us truly don't know what, what we want to do. And you know, after after college or uni- university or your master's or whatever it may be, if you go straight through, you you may work your way up through a company um just like i did and you may work for many other different companies too and you can see a lot of millennials are doing that to me this quarterly crisis is, is a, it's a it's almost a feeling of uncertainty and a question of what you're doing in your life and to me it's your wake-up moment a staggering stat that i i've researched in the past is that 70 i think it's 70 percent um of americans are disengaged at their jobs currently that might be um, low that might be a low number. I agree. Dude, I agree. It's it's crazy. There's a TED talk back, uh, I think, five years ago when I when I was in at GM that I saw. His his focus is is surrounding, making sure that you surround yourself with people that he calls believers. And what does he mean by believers? He means so. Let's say uh, I'm gonna tell you, Sean, you're one of my close friends. I'm gonna tell you that I'm gonna quit my job at RPM or GM or wherever I'm at, hypothetically, and I want to start a surf shop in California with a dope restaurant and you being a believer friend that you are and especially starting this podcast you're gonna say joe that's awesome i are I'll you be hyping you
0: it? up, baby i'll be your yeah, first customer right. let, me, let me get out there
1: <laughs> <laughs> seriously but that's that's what a believer is you believe in me and you're gonna constantly ask me week over week when are you gonna do it so it's almost giving me an, a sense of accountability when you find believer friends you find accountability um they support you and hold you accountable because they care. Coming full circle is, you know, when I was at GM, it's, it's really trying to figure out what I want to do, how I get there, figure out what makes you tick, not your boss, not your parents, not your friends, what makes you tick. And I've always believed the grass is not always greener on the other side. It's where you water it, mm. it's truly where you water it. So the advice that I, w- I would give is really try and find your path, dive deep into different positions and and i think that goes back to the conversations with millennials and i want to get your thoughts on this too um and i don't know the answer to this like i see and a lot of people say you know millennials this millennials that they always are constantly changing jobs and wanting something else do you think that's because they they're finally waking up and they're becoming believers they're 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 realizing that there's more meaning to life than just going through school and being kind of laissez-faire about a job for 40 years of your life. You know, that's why they're, to me, they're hopping jobs because they're trying to find that niche that they're ingrained with. I don't know. So that's, that's kind of, I don't know what your thoughts are on millennials and, and kind of why they maybe choose different jobs. And
0: I, I, so I've been doing a lot of research on it too, because, like, we're kind of, and me and you are, we're kind of like the tail end of the millennials, too. So it's kind of tough because yeah. there's like a whole other gen, like yeah. those Gen Z or whatever it might be. But I think that the major difference is if you think about our parents, like they were ingrained that no matter how, maybe how shitty the job is, you got to be loyal to the company. You have to grind it out 20, 30, 40 mm-hmm. years, collect your pension, yeah. whatever it might be. And I think the difference between that philosophy and now is one, we have way more options as a society now. Like you could literally start a drop shop on your computer and you could, you could be rich, you know, and you could live your life however you want to live. So there's so many more options available. And I think a lot of people realize life is way too short to spend it in an uncomfortable situation or an environment that is like toxic. And it's almost now where companies have to do a better job of it's almost, it's like vice versa. Like the company should be happy to have you you shouldn't be happy to have a company. And I think that a lot of people are now seeing their worth and their value. And they're like, this company does not treat me very well. Why would I stick around? Whereas the generation above us is like, well, you know, I got good benefits and, you know, I got a decent salary and, you know, maybe, yeah, I might not be happy, but pays the bills, you know, and and I don't want to be seen as a job hopper. And, and it's like, now that's, you should, if you're hopping around, unless it's like, because you like, when you interview you, like you're like a victim for the most part, it's like, yeah. yeah, I'm looking for more expansion. I'm looking for more growth. I'm looking for more purpose. Like, and I think it's just, it's crazy to think that that's like the new normal where it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's no longer going to be people. Like if they are staying for 30 years because they love that company and that company probably treats yeah. really, really well. And it's cool yeah. for you to think about it, you know, with you being on the grassroots of a company, like you're laying that foundation of, Am I, am I, am I creating an environment where people are going to stick around for 30 years because they want to, or are they going to leave because I'm creating an environment that is not, you know, fluent to them? Yes,
1: That's a massive, a huge point that I want to touch on. So to your point, what, what makes me tick and why I chose RPM. And, um, I, I truly believe I, I enjoy facilitating those. Um, I'm going to do air quotes. Those aha moments really that change mindsets and open up new possibilities, right? It's Helping passions about helping people, helping teams and organizations figure out where they are, when they want to be, then helping them get there. I, I tend to favor and I believe in servant style leadership, yep. um, not leading with fear. And um, at this role, I kind of find my, my, my path, you know, coming full circle. Again, we have all these processes and being selected by executive leadership and throughput. I, I truly believe I have a knack for that. And that's, that's kind of my purpose right now. And that's not to say my purpose may change again. I may have another life crisis in a year from now. and I, I actually may want to go start that restaurant. Right. Yeah. Um, don't worry. I'll still let you do uh, the first <laughs> guess. All right. it's not I'm talking about. it. That's why I went back to school too. You know, I, I went back to school at um, Harvard to get a, a certificate in leading organizations through a culture of health. So improving the culture to your point. Uh, I went to Cornell um, to get three certificates at change management, high performance leadership, executive leadership to really hone my skills in on how to really drive change and using servant leadership, et cetera. And then begin into process stuff. There's another like seven or eight different certs that I got from the, the Management and Strategy Institute where I got like my master black belt and black belt and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Not karate, but you know, oh, uh, I get that. yeah, yeah, the other stuff. So all that stuff, putting that together and being on the, on the grassroots to your point of a company like RPM, you're able to touch these people and change these processes and use these things and affect them in a way. And going back to my airplane example, get them to Michigan, to Arizona, uh, or whatever your sales goal is. Um, the quickest way possible along with creating a totally inviting culture that's amazing and fun and people want to come to work
0: yeah you know? it's a, it's an airplane that's going to get from point a to point b quickly and safely like the point is that you want to arrive you know you don't want to be on an airplane that might go down yeah. in kansas you know like it's <laughs> if we're using if we're <laughs> using that example yeah just because it's the cheapest plane you know so it's, it's yeah it's, it's tough So one thing I was going to ask you too, that I had written down, what have you been doing to like, besides like the outside schooling and stuff, so just you personal growth, what have you been doing during this crazy time of quarantine to like better yourself? Have you been focusing on anything at all?
1: I have a very, very high stress job in all transparency and putting the job aside. I think anyone going through this situation, um, it's important that you take care of yourself, you know, and, I want to touch on meditation. So I've been meditating. Uh, there's an app called headspace. That I'm, I, I rock for- it every morning, baby. I'm Dude, on a streak. I'm on a streak. Yeah. A streak. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll, yeah. I'll add you as a friend <laughs> if I can. Um, so I've been doing that headspace is phenomenal. It, changed, it, it literally changed my life. And I, I, I mean, what's your experience with headspace?
0: I, so every morning, um, it's part of my morning routine. So I, I used to do the five minute. Now I'm up to 10 minutes. I want to get to a spot where I'm doing 20 minutes. Um, and I want to get to a point where I'm doing it twice a day. I'm only doing it once a day right now. Um, because it's, I, cause I try to, I, t- I take it pretty serious. So I, it's like a commitment, you know, yeah. but I feel so good. Um, cause like, I think that a lot of people they think of like stress as like a bad thing. If you like what you do, like stress is okay. Like it's, you're okay. It's like, you're allowed to have stress, yeah. you know? Um, it's when you don't like what you're doing, that's is a whole other thing. But, I find that headspace makes me feel real good walking into the day. Like anything that might've had baggage wise from yesterday,
1: yeah. I kind of leave it at yep. the
0: door. So that's been my experience with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To piggyback off that, I, I've learned to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, I personally meditate in the morning for 10 minutes, midday for five, and then oh, nice. another in the afternoon just to kind of settle me down. And then I've actually started trying to do yoga, hmm. but Yoga is the Not hardest music. thing.
0: On, is the hardest thing on the planet. Like I just, I can't wrap my head around it. It's no. so hard. <laughs> I can't. I can't I, do mean, it. I
1: know. I know. <laughs> Sorry for all you viewers. Don't laugh <laughs> that. I completely concur. I agree. I've been in a huge health kick. Um, eat mainly, mm. and how I work out. You know, you don't. What I've learned is that you don't need to lift those heavy weights to to get big or get in shape. You yeah. Know, there's a, so many other ways. Yoga, doing eccentric uh, movements, not as much weight. Um, but really the health kick too, I've been on, I've I've been trying to slowly wean out meats and stuff. And to, to your point, I mean, it all relates to everything that we're talking about. It Mm -hmm. affects you personally, mentally, how you perform, um, your interests, everything.
0: One of the reasons I'm sure that that you're in the role that you're in now, obviously besides the fact that you're great. Right. Um, is, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you have the ability now to impact the outcome of those workers engagement, right? So like you're at the top and it's kind of on you to make sure that your people don't fall into that 70% are disengaged at work. So yeah. what are some things that you might either be consciously or subconsciously doing to make sure that you do have an engaged workforce? Because disengagement costs more money than anything on the planet when it comes to like productivity and stuff like that. So what are you doing in a leadership role to hopefully avoid that? Yeah, so
1: that gets back to what I learned at Harvard too with, with creating a culture of health. Um, that's incredibly important so everything from the littlest details of lighting at work mm. to the music to tvs to gamification of stuff if you're in a sales role you know putting up on tvs and making it fun mm. it's the experience that you want people to want them to come back um, it's about the structure of the company if it's hierarchical or uh, flat right? And I know a lot of Japanese companies right now are moving and have been to flat organizations. Look at like dental manufacturing. They're, they're flat.
0: Do you want to explain the what CEO that means? Do you, want to, do you want to explain what that means?
1: Yeah, yeah. So a flat, a flat structure, the CEO literally would be sitting right next to me. There's, mm-hmm. And they don't, I wouldn't necessarily report to him, even though I'm under him. You know, we'd work as a team and I wouldn't be looked down upon um, to an extent. That a hierarchical structure would be with the, the hierarchical structure, you'll you'll have different levels of chains of you gotta run up the chain, you gotta
0: run it up the chain, baby. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, and
1: and most organizations, especially in the United States, are like that. um Big three, etc. But um what's interesting is a lot of them. You know, when I was leaving GM, they were actually moving to like an open floor seating. So getting back to my point about making sure the environment's good and great. That I mean. They're realizing that. I think we're going through a shift right now that's very critical to, you know, to our our millennial generation and even before us and making sure that employees that work for GM or whoever may be want to come to work. I would say that. I think leadership is huge. To me, leadership isn't leadership. Leadership is all about guiding people. You guide. You can't you can't lead by telling people what to do. You guide people by and it goes back to my point about um changing people's perspectives and getting those aha moments that's what i mean by that you you say hey sean what if you think about it this way what do you think and and by saying that and saying what do you think it gives them um it forces them to think differently and in a way that it changes their mindset so they can get the answer a little bit quicker or be able to, um, start creating those, they have uh, ownership. They they have owner.
0: Yeah. They have ownership in their answer.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that's what people want. They, they want nowadays, even more so than anything, they want more accountability and ownership mm-hmm. of the work that they're touching.
0: Yeah. I've always, I've always thought of being a leader as kind of breaking down into three things. You're either a teacher, a coach or a consultant. Like it's all kind of just one big thing, you know?
1: Yeah. So yep. that,
0: that, that aligns perfectly with kind of how I've always viewed it. Yeah. So before we get to the last question, where can where can people reach you? Where can we connect with you as far as your socials go?
1: Uh, I got LinkedIn. Um, don't really use Facebook much. Uh, I have Instagram. Stay, so stay off LinkedIn. there. It's
0: it's Facebook's a war zone right now. Don't don't even yeah. don't even. <laughs> it'll it'll take all that positive energy even building up and crush you. So don't don't go yep. on there. Yep.
1: So okay. LinkedIn, so so LinkedIn,
0: Instagram. Instagram. Um, so I always ask a a weird one off question to end these things. Okay. <laughs>
1: oh God. All right. Oh God.
0: So what is it like? as life as a triplet you're a triplet aren't you,
1: <laughs> I, knew you were gonna answer that. I have to
0: i have to ask what is it yeah. like
1: um i'll give you a, a long winded answer but perfect I'll keep it short at the same time so growing up it, I'll, I'll be very transparent it was hard um we were always being compared we weren't ever really close until we hit college after oh, wow. college we we called each other my brother and sister went to state i went to western obviously we would call each other we would um start asking you know, how you're doing and what you're doing with your life, you need advice and actually be able to talk to them. And even now, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's great. And it's actually fun. And the subconscious fear was that all of our teachers would compare ourselves to hmm. even in sports between me and my brother and my parents. I just it, think it was about very tough, weird.
0: How tough life is already growing up. And then you like yeah. are literally a walking, oh you guys, so it's funny. You're a literal walking podium. Like, are you in first, second yeah. or third? Like you're just walking around and like, yeah.
1: Yeah. metals <laughs> here you go yeah but yeah I honestly I wouldn't change it for the world it's taught me so much growing up and how to act what not to do um, emotionally mentally even now it's I would not change it it's awesome
0: but Joe hey thank you so much for coming on um I'm excited even down the road to have you back on again as you continue to kind of build you know the company and, and your career I think that we've always been philosophically aligned on a lot of different things. And it's just kind of cool to hear your perspective on all of this. And I'm I'm glad to hear that you are still growing and you're still the happy go lucky guy that I met in Australia. And, uh, I, man, I'm just so excited that you came on and I'm looking forward to having you on in the future.
1: No, I appreciate it, Sean. And, and keep up all the good work you're doing with, uh, you know, the nutrition, this podcast with the quarter life crisis, you're doing awesome things. So keep it up, brother. All right. We'll be talking soon. All right, man. Talk soon. Thanks again.
0: All right, so thank you again, Joe. Uh, man, a lot of good takeaways there. I, I, I really love the word ethos. <laughs> That's something that I'm going to be trying to use as much as possible now. But uh, I think that you did a great job articulating uh, why someone should make the move that you did in terms of being comfortable and then making a move to something you're uncomfortable with. I hope everyone had a very safe uh, 4th of July. It was my first 4th of July that I wasn't back in my hometown on uh, the hometown lake, Devil's Lake. And I uh, looked from the photos that everyone had a blast. And uh, it was super funny because all All of my friends that I grew up with were out on the boat with my brother, who's eight years younger than me. So at least I got to hang out with somebody while I was gone. So I wish I was there, but I enjoyed a a more secluded 4th of July over here in the pool. Uh, But I hope everyone stays safe, stay distanced. And uh, as always, welcome to the Valley of the Sun.